Hello, listeners. Hi, how are you? This is Eve Sturgis, and you are listening to the podcast, Everything's Relative with Eve Sturgis, where I uh, find people who have had DNA discoveries, and I ask them to talk about it with me. People um, are finding out more and more these days that they are not who they thought they were. That's the kind of DNA discovery that I'm talking about. So people discover they were adopted and nobody told them. They were donor conceived and nobody told them. They may have come from um, incidents of infidelity and nobody ever told them because that's a deep, that was a deep, dark secret. Um, and of course, myriad other, other reasons and ways and um, some of them less pleasant than others. But all of them are stories all of them affect people in different ways. And that's what this podcast is about. Uh, so welcome. Thanks for being here. We are here with Cassandra. And I met Cassandra through a Higher Earth Hope and Healing Retreat. Uh, she is an active member within the MPE community. And she is especially active and vocal within the donor-conceived population, which she can talk about uh, in a minute. I brought her on here today. I've had her on my whiteboard. I have a whiteboard of a list of all the of all these people that I want to track down and get get their stories. And Cassandra has been on my list for a long time. I'm so excited to get to cross her out off my whiteboard. The other thing is that Cassandra is another person who has done NPE stories, which is Lily Wood's podcast, NPE Stories. Look it up. It probably came up when you found my podcast. It probably came up below, if um, especially if you're on like Apple Podcasts. It will tell you other podcasts you might be interested in. NPE Stories with Lily Wood. Go find Cassandra's episode because in that episode, she talks all about her sort of like basic, and I don't mean that in a bad way, like her basic story, like her what happened, how it felt, you know, the step-by-step experience. Um, because I don't want our podcast experiences with Lily and I to be exactly the same. Go listen to Lily's episode to get the backstory of Cassandra. And then she is here right now. Say hi, Cassandra. Hi. She, hi, she is going to tell us like a synopsis of that. And then if you want all the details, you know, go listen to that. Um, and then otherwise I want to talk to her about, about where she's at now and what kind of things have transpired since that episode, how things have been the past couple of years, um, and what she's doing now as a donor conceived person in the MPE community. So hi, Cassandra, welcome. Hello. Thank you so much for having me, Eve. I was so glad to see you recently. And actually, uh, speaking of Lily, I just and you as well, just met Lily in person um, a couple of weeks ago, also at the Higher Earth Hope and Healing Retreat, So, which was awesome. It was so awesome to see people in real life when you communicated online and you just see like the little face of people and they're not moving and all of a sudden they're real people and it's, it's amazing. So definitely go check out Lily's podcast as well. I took a DNA test. Turns out, you know, there was a surprise. Um, I took a DNA test in August of 2017, um, and uh, it was 23 and May. And when I got my results on September 26th of 2017, I pretty much immediately realized that something was off. Um, I grew up with my mom is is uh, first generation Italian American, and my dad is is very much of a, a mix of you know British and Dutch and very, very old colonial American settlers kind of thing. And so I looked at my results and the first thing I saw was um, 49 point something percent Ashkenazi Jewish. So I immediately uh, realized that there was a, a bit of a surprise, but uh, you know, it took a few hours to put it together that um, what I was seeing was an NPE situation where my, my, father was not my father. Only a few hours is pretty impressive, I have to say. Yeah, yeah. And I and it's since then I've talked to so many people where, you know, the 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 biological parent was of a similar kind of background to the raising parent. And so it really took it really has taken some people like years really to realize, you know, combing through matches and stuff that something is amiss. So I'm really fortunate in that way that I realized, oh my gosh, this is something very very much not what I expected. And it, it, it was, it was not explainable, not explainable. And did you, um, suspect like, 
was there some shadow in the back of your mind that was like, aha, or did you really, you really were, it was like really, really, really a surprise. It was, it was really, really, really a surprise. It really was. Um, and I think, I think as a lot of us can kind of attest to, like you look back and things start to make sense, you know, like you realize there were clues and there were things that didn't uh, add up about your upbringing or, or things of that nature, but you never piece it together to be, oh, my dad's not my dad. <laughs> that would never have like crossed my mind. No. Yeah. No, I relate to that. Right. Like my, as I said, my dad's mostly of like British colonial background primarily. That was, that, and that was the clue. when I had a friend look at my results and was like, you're 0% British. And I was like, oh, you know, I kept like, <laughs> I kept looking at my mom's half, you know, the Italian half, and it was like mostly Southern Europe, a little bit of Spain, a little bit of Greece, like a chunk of Middle East. And then there was like 4% French. <laughs> and I was like convinced that that 4% French was my dad, you know, and, and no, it wasn't. I was 0% British. I remember looking at a picture of my dad when he was young, when he was a kid, and he had blonde hair. I mean, super blonde hair, super blue eyes. And I look nothing like him. I'm dark hair, dark eyes. And yeah, you're the opposite of that. You're the opposite. Right. Of that. Yeah. Right. And really what it came down to was thinking, okay, my mom's Italian. You know, my mm -hmm. mom is Southern Italian. That's where I got my coloring mm -hmm. from. Mm -hmm. Um, so it, it was, it was more of just like, Oh, dominant, dominant coloration. <laughs> right. Yeah. I mean, it makes sense to me. It makes sense to me. Yeah, exactly. So we never really thought of it. And I kind of have like a long face and my dad has kind of like a long face. Mm -hmm. So people mm -hmm. would just kind of see the long face and be like, Oh yeah, you kind of look like your dad, you know? So, so yeah, there was not like, even though there were clues like that, that I can go back to now and point out. And I think I even remember saying to my mom at that moment, wow, I don't look anything like daddy did when he was young, but they were, they were always something that was easily explainable. You could explain it away or where it was never like an overwhelming urge of like, this can't possibly be. So no, it was, I, it was a complete shock, complete, complete shock. And so I uh, confronted my mom the next morning um, after after realizing uh, that something was more wrong than I originally thought. Because mm -hmm. um, you know, I, I really, I really delved into all the possibilities. I was like, maybe my grandfather, my Italian grandfather, he loved his Jewish friends in Brooklyn. Maybe I was part Jewish from his side and then thinking, oh, my, my dad did have some relative from Germany. Maybe they were German Jewish, you know, right. all these possibilities and realizing that that couldn't possibly be. So, um, after calling 23 and me and saying, um, is there any chance of a sample mix up, which mm -hmm. they said, absolutely not. Mm -hmm. Um, I, I, I confronted my mom and, uh, she, she, she was very honest with me, which I'm very appreciative of. Um, she knew it was coming. She knew I was taking the test. Oh, she did. Um, she did. She actually saw me spit into the tube. Oh, 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 oh. I, rem I remember the look on her face when I was spitting into the tube. I really do. But, but um, again, it was, it was nothing I thought of as a red flag at the moment. So I, yeah, so she, she started crying and she, she told me that, that no, my dad was, was not my biological father. And I asked her what on earth happened, what, what, and she uh, confessed to me that my, my dad um, had been infertile and they were unable to conceive. And so they, they used a sperm donor to conceive me. So from that moment, I was immediately on a mission to um, figure this out. Mm -hmm. I, I really didn't waste a second. <laughs> um, so I, uh, I had a half sibling match and. Um, oh, wow. Right away you did. Right away I did. Yeah. Mm. Which again. I saw that this half sibling match was also half Ashkenazi Jewish. Um, so, um, and my mom had a, a key piece of information, which I'll share again, because it's just so fun. Um, <laughs> so my mom, you know, so during, I was conceived and born in 1982. So a woman, you know, as, as they probably still do now for, for purposes of intrauterine insemination, you know, you would ch chart your cycle 
and let the doctor know when you were ovulating. And so the week that she was ovulating, she, the procedure was to come in three days during that week that she was ovulating and be inseminated three times. I didn't even know that. Oh, I know. I didn't even know. I didn't even know how that happened. Okay. (laughs) That makes sense. So yeah. Yeah. And, um, so she came in and, you know, she told me, and this is just a few minutes after I found out when I'm trying to grill her with all these questions, she said that the doctor just kind of nonchalantly as he was, you know, inseminating her was like, oh, I just drove in from Long Island with this, you know, with this cup of semen that he was now <laughs> inserting into her. <laughs> and, and so I, I, you know, I was conceived in, in Westchester County, New York, which is right over one of the bridges from, from Long Island, um, you know, half an hour drive or so. So my mom like remembered that, you know, 35 years later, remembered, oh, this semen came from Long Island. It's so weird. And it was, it was so helpful, especially because they had no information. Like my mom was given absolutely nothing. There was no paperwork, nothing. Mm -hmm. Um, So she really had no idea who this person was. So, but she had an idea. He may be a doctor and maybe from Long Island, which was great. So when I, when I found my half sibling match, I, I uh, Googled that person's name and up popped uh, three doctors on Long Island with that last name. And it turned out to be, you know, middle brother. So I, I reached out to my half sibling match and, and, you know, basically just dumped on, on her and, and she confirmed that they had just recently found out that their father had, had donated sperm. So I was able to connect with my biological family very quickly. Um, she put me in touch with one of her other siblings, you know, one that my bio dad had raised, put me in touch with my bio dad. Um, and, and he was very glad to, to start a relationship. Wow. That's Um, that's cool. That's, that's, yeah. Yeah. Yeah, so that's that's a cool part of the story. It is. So within (laughs) within a few a few weeks of of finding out, I had already met um, met one of my siblings. Um, I had begun corresponding with my bio dad after maybe I think it was like maybe a month and a half or so after I found out. Um, And and within four months, I I had met my my biological father. Wow. Um, So it all happened very very quickly, and which was great in the sense that I don't think I would have been able to wait long any longer. I think it would have killed me, but Mm -hmm. it was also, it was also a lot to handle all at once. And so the, the, the year, two years, three years after that were a major spiral into like severe PTSD and grappling with everything that had happened. Mm -hmm. Um, I can finally say I'm in a, a, good place. I want to say, you know, it's, it's something I still think about all the time. It's something I still write about all the time. It's something I still have a lot of feelings about Mm -hmm. still a lot of anger, still a lot of sadness, still a lot of grief. Um, but like, I'm okay. I can get through it. I can, I can channel it into something more, um, something better, something better for me, something better for other people. So yeah. So that's kind yeah. of like the summary of how it all started. <laughs> cool. Yeah. That was perfect. That was great. You're good at that. Thank you so much. Thank you. And do you talk in the, in, um, NPE stories with Hollywood, do you talk more about that emotional journey? Relationships have been a big part of your story. Yes. So, so which is very interesting and important. And I, and I think your story is also just like such an excellent example of of how and why this stuff, which seems simple from the outside is not, is not simple for the people experiencing it. Right. It's so not simple. And as much as a lot of us can look back and say, okay, there was a really big culture of secrecy around adoption and donor conception. And even for people conceived via affairs, you know, via the, the so much shame around extramarital sex and things of that nature that like we can put ourselves in our parents' position, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. but it's like, it goes to a certain point. You know, like empathize with the time period. But then when you kind of look back and realize everything that went into 
keeping the secret and how the secret became more important than you, <laughs> than like your health, then um, that's, that's where it becomes more difficult to, to swallow. And so mm-hmm. that's kind of how I got into talking to parents, you know, it was really difficult for me to, to talk to my own parents about this. My, I want you know, want to say my mom was really excellent at providing any answers I needed. And actually at the very beginning being supportive, like really, mm-hmm. I want to say like the first year or so she was, she was really, um, tried, you know, it wasn't, wasn't without arguments. It wasn't without tears, but she really did, did try. Um, and then she got, tired of, of, of being there for me mm-hmm. <laughs> you know, and, and, my, and my, my, my dad who raised me is, is, I don't want to say he's a narcissist, but he has, he has some narcissistic qualities, um, many, you know, substance abuse issues and, and, oh, there's, there's a lot there, mm-hmm. you know, an abusive relationship with my mom and kind of was able to kind of turn, turn her and turn the rest of the mm-hmm. family into thing that, I was the problem and it was all my problem. Um, so, so yeah, so it, it's been a difficult journey in that sense. And that really drove me to be like, okay, if I can't reach my parents, mm-hmm. how can I reach somebody where this can actually impact people, impact real living people. And I was like, I can talk to parents. I can talk to other parents. You know, there's less emotions there. Um, and, and you can catch them earlier in the process. You can change their ways of viewing this, you know, earlier in the process so that you're not creating this kind of situation 30, 40, 50 years in the future. Um, so that's where I started like honing in some of my advocacy work around, around donor conception in particular, because it's the thing that makes donor conception so different in a sense, even though we share so many similarities with, with um, the general NPE population, donor conception has this unique aspect where usually both parents are in on it, so to speak. And they, they go into it, like even before you are conceived, they go into it with the express plan of conceiving a child and then lying to it. (laughs) Um, So it's like this premeditated conspiracy of sorts, you know, it really feels like that from the inside because they're, they're creating this whole narrative between the two of them. And, and, and I, it also got me to kind of explore like, well, what does that do to people's marriages? What does that do to people's just family relationships in general? Because that can't be healthy going into, into it with that mindset. And I started realizing that like looking at my parents' marriage, looking at things about how I had been raised and being like, oh my gosh, this secret touched on so much more than anyone could ever have imagined. If I put myself in the situation, you know, and I'm a pretty empathetic person. So if I put, had put myself in this, in this situation prior to it happening to me, you know, thinking about it, maybe happening to a friend, I could see understanding that it would be a huge, uh, life changer, you know, and understanding how it could be, uh, really impactful, but I don't think I could have ever envisioned how much the secret, um, eroded, like the structure of your family, like it, it just permeates everything. Yeah. I was just getting this, this visual, this like image of, you can't see my hands right now because we can't have video on, but I'm doing, I'm doing a shape with my hands where it just sort of seeps into everything like water or you can't keep water out of, you know, like exactly sort of like spider webs, but like something that, that root roots really, I mean, maybe like tree roots or something like it just kind of goes around and touches and is a part of everything. Yeah. I'm doing the same thing with my hands because I'm Italian, I'm Italian and Jewish and from, from New York, New Jersey. So yes, <laughs> like all over the place, you know? Yeah. And, and, and that's what shocked me. And I was like, oh my gosh, I cannot let this happen 
to in the future. Like mm-hmm. I can't, I can't let what's happening in my family continue because I, I came from such a tight knit, close Italian immigrant family. You know, my dad's family was very small. It was really just, just my grandparents, but my mom's family, even though still it wasn't a huge, huge family, but just very tight knit, very, I mean, I can't even, it's hard to explain. If, you, if you're Italian American, you know, you're constantly over at people's houses, constantly just, op- you know, it, it's just, it's just such an openness and such a, and I, and I just couldn't let anybody else's beautiful family erode because of, of a secret like this. Hmm. So it became like my mission to be like cautionary tale. This is my cautionary tale. You have to tell your kids if, if you've already waited, if your kids are already older, it's so much better if it comes from you rather than if it comes from a DNA test, like, yeah. you know, you have to be honest and it's so, so scary. It's mm-hmm. so scary. I know it is, but you have to tell your kids from the beginning. And so that's, and, and also when I found out my, my daughter was, was 19 months old. Um, and so I started having to explain to her what was going on because she was there for a lot of these discussions, <laughs> you know, right, she was just kind right. of hanging around. And I'm like, oh, I, ha- I have to talk to her about this. I have, and, and also as far as medical history, everything, I was like, I don't want this to be another generation of this. Um, and so when I was practicing talking to her about it, I was like, oh, this is how I should have been talked to about it. And so then I just started helping par- parents would be like, how do, well, how do I talk to my one-year-old about it? And I'd be like, hey, I have personal experience with that. I can actually tell you how to talk to a one-year-old about it. It's really not as hard as a lot of people think. And, and kids grasp onto it. And I mean, my daughter was talking about it when she was like two, mm-hmm. you know, and now she's six and she doesn't care, of course. But <laughs> like, but <laughs> now it's like, you know, video games and all my little ponies and stuff. And, you know, she has contact with some of her cousins, you know, mm-hmm, from mm-hmm. my, from my, uh, biological family side. Um, and so she, she knows, you know, I talk to her often about how I have two types of dads. Each one did a different thing in helping to, to make me the person that I am, you know, and then kind of contrasting it to her. Like right. she has one, she has the one dad, the one dad who provided the sperm and that, and he's also the dad who's raising her, you know, right, but right. for me, for me, it's just two different people who did, did those things and, and mommy loves them both. And they, they each did something different. Mm-hmm. So it's just, it's so, it's really been good to be able to talk these things out with, with parents who are using donors now. And they'll ask how do I explain this thing? Or what would you have rather had done? And we're able to kind of share the wisdom, even though a lot of us didn't know growing up, but kind of taking the mistakes of what was done for the last 80 years in donor conception and trying to make it, make it better. And then hopefully the kids 40 years from now will be able to say what worked for them and what didn't work. And we'll just, you know, progress and, or science will step in and cure infertility or something. I hadn't even considered that that could happen. It really could. And that's, that's something too, that we talk about, especially with adoption and donor conception is like, they're not, they're not cures for infertility. You may think, or it may be presented to you as such, um, but they don't stop making you infertile. And I say that as someone who's dealt with infertility. So it's not that, um, I don't get that. It's just that, um, they don't take, they don't, they're not going to restore that biological connection. That is what makes you unable to reproduce, you know, in the Mm -hmm. traditional socially acceptable way. And that's where a lot of the weight gets put on donor conceived people or adoptees is that we're almost expected to be the cure. We're expected to be the finish line, you know, of all that treatment. Um, and, and it, it ends up being a big weight on us, Hmm. the expectations of what we're supposed to be or how we're supposed to be the solution to write a solution or an answer. Mm -hmm. Yeah. A solution to your grief, you know, and, 
And that's not something that should be placed on any child, but uh, especially when there's other circumstances involved, when there's another biological parent, it, it ends up making us feel very out of place um, because there was another place that we could have been. You know, we could have been raised with a biological parent. And, and so it becomes like, well, we were taken away from that biological parent in order to fulfill your grief. Mm-hmm. It's a really messed up mental game. It's a really difficult existential puzzle to, to work your way out of. <laughs> but, uh, yeah, that's actually an excellent description. I was just thinking like, it is, I was just going in my head, like it's, it's so complex. It's so complex. But it, it was, was like, holy moly, I am now a living, breathing nature versus nurture experiment, like a, a planned one, you know, because prior to the, I want to say, honestly, the 2000s, really. I mean, I, I can't tell you how insane this is, but doctors were, there are still doctors who tell you not to tell your kids in 2022. But up until the, you know, 90s, 2000 time, it was still very common to tell parents or to uh, lead parents to believe that not telling your children they were donor conceived was, was okay. Um, so in the early eighties, you know, very few parents were telling their kids. Yeah. It's amazing. I was just, I, right. As you were saying that I was like, you know, I know lots of people growing up. I've talked with a lot of adoptees about how adoption was an open conversation in my world. Growing up, I knew there was, there was lots of kids who were adopted or it was an open, you know, sort of an open. Yeah openly discussed issue. And I, and I, so I'm not familiar with, with growing up with it as a secret, but I don't, I can't identify a single person in my life or time when donor conception has been discussed as a, when I was a child with my peers and now as an adult, yeah, I can't, you know, that, and it's gotta yeah. be going on. I know a lot of other adults. I know a lot of couples. <laughs> and like, yes. <laughs> so it must be going on. It, it was, I mean, and, and that's the crazy thing is they're not, they're not keeping track. I mean, we're decades behind adoption. And I mean, and I'm, you've talked to enough adoptees where, you know, they're, they're way behind where they should be also, mm-hmm. but in terms of secrecy way, still way behind where, where adoptees are in terms of, or in terms of what therapists know to right. tell parents, you know, like there are probably yeah. still well-meaning therapists out there who would tell you, of course, you have to tell your kid you're adopted, that they're adopted, but then, you know, say, oh, does the kid really need to know if it's only like only a sperm donor or something, you know, like, yeah, I mean, of course there's always, there are always sort of exception exceptions to all, to the rule, right? Like there's definitely good people out there yes. in all the situations. I was trying to figure out how I was this, this nature versus nurture, like experiment, you know, like, okay. In the nineties, they were actually planning this out. Like, don't tell your kids, figure it out. I hate thinking of you as a human, Cassandra, that I know, but also just thinking of children and babies as experiments. Like that word, that word really shifts the energy of the conversation. Yes. And that I think is really hard to deal with that. And the money involved is Mm -hmm. real. Like it, it doesn't sound like a big deal, but I, I've been in, in very bad places because of those aspects of my conception, you know, Mm -hmm. very bad mental places, just coming to terms with those, those aspects of it. Um, And so when I think about the issues I had growing up as a teenager, anxiety, depression, you know, at this point, when we're saying like, we can't tease out exactly what is nature and nurture, they're intertwined, they affect each other and stuff. And when I think about the mental health struggles of my dad, you know, my dad had a lot of, a lot of mental health struggles, which I always thought were genetic, but guess what? It turns out my biological father also had numerous mental health struggles. Mm -hmm. And my, my mom's side, um, also a lot of anxiety on that side. Um, so when I put that together and realize I have these three branches that I'm pulling from either Mm -hmm. through nature or through nurture or through both, 
coupled with the impacts of the secret in and of itself and the, the environment that you're being raised in where this there's this other reality that you don't know about um it makes a lot of sense wow when you put it that way <laughs> when you put it that way it just feels undeniable like of course you were affected yeah and then not that anybody's sure. trying to deny it <laughs> no no what it's actually true i would that's one of the hardest things about dealing with parents who are using donors is that a lot of times they just don't they really just don't believe what you're saying or they mm -hmm. think it's just be, it's or they think it's just because your parents lied to you which we know from decades and decades of adoptee research it's mm -hmm. not just because you were lied to there are factors involved in not having mirroring you know from mm -hmm. genetic or just having these unanswered questions, even if you do know that lend themselves to difficulties in, in certain aspects of, of identity formation, you know? So it's really hard to get parents to believe things around how important identity is to you. Even parents who are dealing with their own identity struggles, they have a hard time empathizing with this particular identity struggle. I imagine that a lot of people, because because this is such a new topic, and I don't think that this is anything um, unkind or malicious on the on the part of parents, but mm -hmm. I imagine that maybe I'm just thinking about myself that parents, when they hear this kind of these kind of stories, these gen, sort of generalized, I don't know what they, I general generalizations. Um, I imagine <laughs> that they they think, well, in our family, it won't be like that. Exactly. Like, or well, well, we don't, we don't have depression. So that won't be that triangulation that you just spoke about doesn't apply to us or whatever, right. like you get, and it, which is kind of the American way, right? It's like, it always comes down to the individ <laughs> individual. Yes. But yeah. Um, but I bet, a, I bet that is an obstacle that, that people don't, even, parents don't even know they have, you know, it's like an obstacle of, of it is of understanding yeah. how how common and how similar we all are as people, despite all of our uniqueness as families and parents. Um, exactly. And I think parents spend a lot of time, especially parents who are very open with their kids about their conception, spend so much time understanding how, how much they're normalizing it. And so they're taking away the shame from it. But while they're doing that, they're also not normalizing the child's feelings about their conception. Right. You know, so they're trying to take shame away in the public eye, which is awesome, you know, because we mm -hmm. want it talked about. We want it to be, I don't want to say no, normalized feels like an odd word. It makes it sound like you want everybody to use a donor, which, mm -hmm. is, not, <laughs> which is not exactly what we want. But, um, you know, but to, to understand that this is this is the way that a lot of families are made. Um, and to not have, you know, kids picking on each other for the ways that we were conceived, because literally we're all conceived, you know, using the same pieces of human anatomy, you know, um, the same cell, cells and such. So it's right. like, I was but, like, our cells anatomy? Is it anatomy? <laughs> I guess I it's anatomy in the end. I mean, like, I mean, in the beginning, I don't. Yeah. Mm -hmm. So it's, it's like, but then there, the, the work isn't necessarily being done to understand the child's feelings. It's about, well, my child won't be ashamed of this. My child won't, my child won't feel this way because they'll know my child won't. But it's so much about saying that your child won't, that it's, it's like dehumanizing when your child does speak up and have those concerns and parents aren't preparing themselves for when their child starts asking questions, you right. know, and some kids don't ask questions, you know, some some don't, some go through their teenage years and, you know, they're like, I'm still not interested, but I, you know, we have parents come in and all of a sudden they're like, oh my gosh, my three-year-old is asking these really intense questions. What do I do? Mm -hmm. You know, it's, and there's their three-year-old is starting to have these like existential questions going on because they know, and they're putting the pieces together and they're trying to figure it out. And they have no idea how to discuss it with kids that age, you know, right. or how to, or how to provide their children with their answer with answers, you know. So we try to help coach parents on how to how to approach possible DNA testing, how to approach looking for siblings, you know, things like that. Um, so yeah, that's that's a big thing about about what we're trying to do is foster normalize kind of fostering connections and normalize normalize the idea of 
uncommon and untraditional family structures too. Mm -hmm. So when you say we, and they come to us, who are you talking about? What, what is the, how, what is the channel that you have found for yourself to be a part of as part of the donor conceived conversation? Yeah. So I moderate, help moderate. There's a crew of us who do an amazing job. Um, the largest group for the entire donor conception triad constellation on online. Um, so we've got over 18,000 members at this point. Um, parents, donors, donor conceived adults, um, you know, people who are also involved in the industry, therapists, um, lawyers and surrogacy, all all kinds of things. Um, So that is one place where where we're available, Um, you know, the kind of advocacy bubble of of donor conceived people Um, and also the newly formed donor conceived council and donor conceived community. Um, Donor Conceived Community does peer support led groups. um, And we're also trying to bridge the gap with parents to allow for, you know, parenting uh, support (laughs) to kind of check in with donor conceived adults about things like that. Mm -hmm. So when you say 18,000 people, 18,000 people are a member, are they all a part of something? Does it have a name? Is it a club? Yes. It's yes. It's a Facebook group. It's donor conceived. Mm -hmm. It's a very long donor conceived people, parents, siblings. I can send you the the name. (laughs) of. (laughs) Okay. Okay. Um, Yeah. Yeah. Send me the name. And, and so that if anybody, if it, if that applies to somebody, I, I hope that they can find it. Yeah. That's amazing. Okay. So you were just really like, you've got your finger in fingers and all the pies and everything. And mm-hmm. then the other, the other area where I've kind of honed in my trying to help people wade through this experience is, is the, the Jewish discovery aspect of, of this, um, which I've, because it's, it's got a unique um, set of, again, existential questions mm-hmm. that are surrounding it. You know, it's like, oh, when you really, when you're 35 and you realize, oh, half my family was killed in the Holocaust. And, oh, what do you do with that? What do you do with those feelings around it? Um, so that is the other area where I've spent a lot of time um, trying to reach out to people and help them figure out what it means to them and how to approach Judaism as a culture, as a religion, as an ethnic group, and how to approach it respectfully Mm -hmm. so that we can learn and then decide what kind of relationship we want going forward with with the Jewish people and with the Jewish um, community. So that's so important. I think there's, that's just another layer that, that people barely even touch on when we're just kind of talking broadly about NPE experiences. Well, that's maybe not true. I think within the groups, there's a lot of discussion about it, especially as each person um, or each person that has something like that, like big, big, big surprises, big big surprises, right. The really big surprises. (laughs) Um, we talk about those within the groups and there's some subgroups of, of like ethnic discovery and racial discussions and stuff like that. Um, but I think broadly, and even in this show, I've, we've, I've barely had guests touch on it very much, um, for the really, really big surprises. So it's huge. It's huge. It's 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 huge. huge. And I would say at this point, four and a half years in the discovery of being, a patrilineal Jew has been just as impactful in my life. Just as it's been just as big of a discovery in and of itself as having a different parent as mm-hmm. I, than I thought I did. It, they, they've been of equal weight in my, in my discovery. So it, to me, it feels like two, two simultaneous and interwoven journeys of, of equal kind of magnitude. And that's been insane. That sounds like a lot. It is. And in a sense, I feel really um, glad to have had that opportunity because, you know, I, I think for a lot of us, the re- the new relationships with biological family, like I have, I have a lovely relationship with my bio dad, but of course, you know, there's no manual for all of this. Mm-hmm. So, you know, there are moments where it, you know, 
expectation versus reality is not always, they don't always match up. And it was like, this, this could also be a, a way, this has also been a way of being able to connect with my new self and to connect with ancestors aside from just my biological father or my siblings or cousins or, you know, people that I may never meet or talk to. Um, but this is a way, like, it's a way to honor the grandparents that I never met or all my, all my great grandparents were all immigrants. Um, you know, all their siblings and cousins and stuff were all, you know, killed in the Holocaust and at least what I've been able to find. And so it's just, this is, has been a way for me to continue on the legacy of who I am and who mm-hmm. I feel I always was, um, even without necessarily having to have it be about my personal relationship with my biological father. You know, I asked right. him before, but I, I finished my conversion last year. And so before I did that, I asked him, I wanted to use his, his Hebrew name in my Hebrew name. So the way the Hebrew name works is it's, you know, your first name and then it's son of, or daughter of, and then your parents' names mm. in Hebrew. So I, I asked him, I said, can I use your, your Hebrew name as, can I be daughter of mm-hmm. your Hebrew name? And, and he, he, he gave me his Hebrew name and, you know, thought it was pretty cool that I was doing that. And so, um, it's, it's been huge. And so I finally have a, like a sort of legal name where I'm legally his daughter. (laughs) Right. Right. That gives you, gives you a sense of connection that you, you may not have otherwise had. I feel like I could talk to you for like three more hours. So many, like so many questions that I think always later, I mean, this happens with everybody, but every time I find myself so fascinated and just listening and like taking it all in and processing it, And it won't be until much later that I have lots of things to sort of say and lots of questions. And uh, so I hope you don't take my silence as um, I don't know what one might think it is, but um, fascinating. And and it's interesting. I've had a few people contact me lately as parents um, asking, you know, where to go and what are the resources and and so it's so wonderful that the donor conceived community and the larger MPE community has you, um, you're doing so much great advocacy and, and talking. And so, so where should, okay. So because I'm thinking about my, my friends that just contacted me as parents and said, how do we do this? Where, where should they go first? I would also recommend just because it's, it's easy and it's less overwhelming than joining a huge Facebook community. Um, even though I do recommend that they join the donor conceived, you know, donor conceived people, parents, siblings, it's all in capital letters. We have, we have a, we have a reputation. We're called the all caps group. It can be very overwhelming for people to, to join it. And I, Mm -hmm. so I understand that. So we, you know, want people to wait in carefully, but I would also highly recommend following Jana Rupnow on Instagram. Okay. Um, her book, her book is three makes baby. She is a therapist who specializes in third-party reproduction. She's also an adoptee and an adoptive mom. So it's a much easier platform to just follow on Instagram for a bit and kind of get used to the nature of her posts. Um, if you're just starting out on trying to figure out how to handle parenting your, your donor conceived child. Um, and then we can also move on from there. She's open to PMs, uh, DMs, and she can, she can lead you my way too. I can always lead you to, to our, our parenting group on, which is on Facebook or, um, or talk to you one-on-one as well. Um, I'm always open for that. Even if I'm not answering right away, I, I am, I am available and we'll, we'll get to you. And I'm always willing to kind of help. Um, you know, I remember even shortly after I discovered I had, I was on the phone with a woman in Australia who had just told her, her adult daughter. And we were like commiserating about how difficult of a process it was, but like on opposite sides. And it was like refreshing to talk to the other person where it was not your own parent or not your own child. Yeah. That can feel so good. It can feel so good yeah. to, to, to feel a part of a community or feel part of something with another person. Um, and I guess I just want to acknowledge just in case anybody is listening 
and is concerned or worried or interested in the differences of conversation and the language used when families are same-sex parents. Cassandra and the donor conceived community are totally inclusive and conversational and have all the vocabulary and emotionally awareness, are emotionally aware about that as well. Just in case, because I was thinking about the example you gave about like how for your family, for Cassandra's family with her daughter, she can say, you have two dads and one does this and one does this and I'm the mom. Um, and there may be people that thinking, thinking it gets more complicated. They're prepared for that. We are, we're so, we're so prepared. So many of the couples we deal with are LGBTQ couples. Um, we are, we're, tr- we're also as a group really working toward being trans inclusive as well to the point where, you know, we were trying to emphasize even to the larger community that, you know, sperm donors are not necessarily men and egg donors are not necessarily women, you know, so using more trans inclusive terminology where it's a sperm provider, it's an egg provider, you know, regardless of the gender of the person who's providing that sex cell. Right. We're working really hard to, to be inclusive of, and you know, and our moderation team as well is, is um, you know, we have BIPOC um, moderators, we have LGBTQ families in the moderation team um, so that we can catch any instances that turn into um, something that's problematic or offensive to some of our members because we want every mm-hmm. to feel at home and to realize that we're so, we, we are so, amazingly thrilled with the rights of queer families in this country. And we want, we, we want queer families to thrive. We want them to thrive. And so we want them to be health as healthy as they can be. And that's why we love talking about all these things is because we like, we're looking for healthy families and healthy donor conceived people for the future. Right. Great. Wonderful. Thank you so much for giving me your morning, Cassandra. It's actually your early afternoon. Yes, (laughs) but thank you for giving me a big chunk of your day and talking with me about all this stuff. I just feel like, man, we just like skimmed the surface. Like this is just the tip (laughs) of the iceberg of who Cassandra is and what she does. It's like, I want to get into everything you talked about it, the retreat and how you've been facilitating and you have this presentation now. Like she's just, you guys, she's just full of, full of knowledge and wisdom to share. And that's, I will tell you last week was donor conception awareness day. And let me tell you, I sat on zoom calls for over 12 hours. Like people, people had stuff planned. And I, you know, I only was, was presenting in a couple of them, but oh my gosh, there was like, there is more than 12 hours worth of information to, to digest on mm-hmm. this stuff. It was even 12 hours of a day was just skimming the surface. Yeah. So. <laughs> yeah. I <it> just, <laughs> yeah. It just gets like, it's sort of, you know, I don't know. I hate, I get so tired of the um, metaphor about the onion and the layers and the layers, but it's sort of like an infinity onion or something. It just goes and goes. Humans are complicated. They're really, really complicated. <laughs> Humans are complicated and donor conception is an infinity onion. Yes. Thank you so much. All right, everybody. If you, you, yeah. So if you want to get in touch with Cassandra, contact me or go on social media and find at everything's relative podcast. And I will have all the information up. Um, can people contact you, Cassandra directly? How would they do that? Yes. Um, so I, by email, it's Cassandra J Adams, all one one word together at yahoo.com. You can email me. Um, you can find me on social media on Facebook, um, Cassandra Adams, um, you know, if you send me a, a friend request or a PM, you know, explain who you are, how you found me, or also on Instagram at Cassandra J Adams. Um, again, it's a private account, but if you message me and let me know uh, who you are, I'm more than, more than happy to, uh, accept friend requests and follow requests from people who are willing to learn and willing to, to, uh, be new friends. Yeah. Cool. Oh, great. Okay. So I'll have all that information available. Um, yeah. And so, so thank you so much. Thank go you. On with, you. Oh my gosh. Yeah. You go on with yourself. Um, have a wonderful weekend. Have a great mother's day, whatever that oh means. Oh my gosh. What, yes. Happy whatever, mother's day. Whatever that means to you. Oh my gosh. I know it's complicated, but complicated. it's okay. <laughs> it's another it's infinity onion. Yes. <laughs> 
gosh, it's too much. Infinity onions are everywhere. <laughs> so that was wonderful. I, I just, I know that I already said this, but I'm going to say it again, is that you guys, that was like nothing. That was like the tiniest hint or peak or keyhole experience of the, the kind of knowledge and wisdom um, and kindness that, that just exudes from Cassandra. So I really hope that you, um, if, if any of that applied to you or resonated with you, that you reach out to me or reach out to Cassandra, um, wherever you're at, if, if in donor conception or in your MPE journey, um, let us know, let us, let us, let, 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 uh, help us help you. And uh, other things that might help you on your journey are, this is very silly. This is a very silly segue, you guys. Uh, but this is part of my trying, trying this new, this new podcast format where I keep it all in one recording. Um, another, another resource that may help you is the journal I created, the process journal called Who Even Am I Anymore? It is for everybody in the MPE community, adoptees, LDAs, donor conceived, NPEs, for everybody there. Uh, it is available on Amazon. It's got some prompts and some pages for writing. It should, um, I hope that it helps you. And make sure that you're following me on, on all the socials at Everything's Relative Podcast. I'm pretty tired, you guys. This is going to be a tough episode for my editor to work on because... What I didn't tell anybody until now, and now I'm telling everybody, is that uh, I am just now uh, rounding the bend on having COVID-19. So, and actually, maybe I did tell you guys. Maybe I did tell you in an episode a couple of weeks ago. See, this is, it's the brain fog. This is the COVID brain fog. I can't even keep it straight. Uh, but anyway, so poor Cassandra and poor editor Joy, I was coughing away through this whole episode. Uh, but hopefully, hopefully she edited around it. So it's not too terrible. And if it is, you know what, I'll redo the whole thing with Cassandra. So everybody just let me know. Um, and I'll be back next week. I've got more episodes. I have so many coming. This is season four. It may never end. Thank you so much for being here. Thank you for listening. Thank you for sharing this episode or these, <laughs> these episodes or this podcast with people, you know, Thanks for reviewing me on your podcast platform. Thanks for giving me some stars. Thanks for voting. Not for me, but for the world. And all right, I'm going to fix all this later. Bye. Everything's Relative with Eve Sturgis is produced by Eve Sturgis and Kaylin Egan and edited by Joy Rumor. Logo designed by Ivy McNally and music is used with permission from Goodbye the Band. Eve is a licensed psychotherapist, but her podcast episodes are not therapy sessions. Mm-hmm.